When you're talking about worship with the new covenant, understand that it always starts on the inside and goes to the outside. Okay, it's not as much about our actions, it's not as much about the things we do, it's about where those things come from. And so, worship with Jesus starts here. It starts here, and it works its way out. And so for us, often, there are things that we've learned to do, there's motions that we've learned to go through, there's a certain, I don't know, protocol to being a Christian, to going to church, the way we act on Sundays, and so we get used to going through the motions. And it's so helpful for us to just to remind ourselves that it starts inside first. That is what matters, and that's where we have to begin. All right, we covered a lot last week. Uh, everyone who was here, I just prayed for you all week long. I hope that you guys didn't fall asleep on me. We have so much to cover with worship. Um, and so if you weren't here, and if you were here but you kind of didn't catch everything, we're going to run through week one recap quickly. There are three questions that we answered last week. Here's the first one. The first question was, what is worship? So we have kind of the, uh, the, the Grace Church approach to worship. So this, this definition kind of encompasses all sorts of verses and texts and context and things like that. But here's kind of what we boiled it down to. Worship is when we acknowledge or express the value of that which we encounter. And again, I, I went in depth into why encounter is a crucial part of it. And so it's not just things we do, but it's also the internal process of us encountering him or encountering anything and seeing its value, understanding its value and expressing it, okay? And so once we understood what worship is, the second question we answered was, what kind of worship does God desire? And uh, specifically, we went to John, the fourth chapter, verse 23 through 24. And we understand in this passage that God desires the heart of the worshiper more than the act of worship. Did you get that? He desires the heart of the worshiper. In essence, the worshiper is what has value, not just what they bring, okay? He desires the heart of the worshiper more than the act of worship and encourages us to come as we are in transparency and honesty. Uh, there's a phrase that's used there where when Jesus is talking about the kind of worship that his father's after, and he says that his father is searching the earth, finding those who worship in spirit and in truth. And uh, Jesus and the Apostle Paul explain that this, this, this lifestyle in the spirit is a life of grace, meaning simply all of the regulations and the importance of how you come, when you come, fades away, and what's important is that you come. Does that make sense? What matters is that you approach him, that you even initiate. That is the heart of worshiping by the Spirit, the heart of worshiping by grace. Got it? All right, we can keep moving. All right, so we establish what worship is. We establish what kind of worship God desires. And then we also answer the third question. Where do we worship? Okay? We understand that in the Old Testament that they made altars. There were specific places with the synagogues, with the temple, whenever it was built, there were places in villages, in their homes, they would build altars. Uh, basically, anywhere where they expected to encounter God, that's where they would build an altar to worship. And what takes place in our lives are there are three everyday altars, three places where we have the opportunity to stop and worship Him every day. And what those are is simply the first one is, it takes place internally and personally, meaning everything in my life has the ability to become an altar, 
okay? Whether it's my thought life, my feelings, whether it's my, uh, my approach to things, my expression through words or art, whatever it is, these places internally and personally can be worship. I can make them places of encounter if I choose to. Secondly, our relationships. Every contact with a person has the opportunity to be a place of worship, specifically because it's one of the most primary ways that we express the value of God. Because when you love someone, you make a choice to, to make their priorities, their affections, their loves, your loves. What matters to their heart, you make an effort to make it matter to your heart. You might never want to go shopping ever, men, okay? But you will make an effort when it matters, okay? Making the effort is what counts, okay? And there's nothing that matters more to God than people. And so relationships is a primary place of worship. I want to stop there for one second. There's also a worship through relationship tends to have a stair step meaning there is a place where it begins. I mean, the first place that we begin to worship God in our relationships is in our marriage, in our family, to our children, to our, you know, our parents. If you notice, especially in the Old Testament, uh, there were so many regulations in the way we interacted with those who were older than us, those who were younger, those who are spouses, those who, who were in close relationship. And this continues now in the new covenant. And so our worship through relationship starts with our family and friends. It moves on to the family of believers. Again, this interaction with people is so crucial that this is the proof that God exists. He says, and people will know you follow me by what? Your love one for another, okay? And then there is a third level. There is, once we've learned to love our, our spouses, our children, then we love to learn the fam, to, to love the family of God, which that takes a while, okay? Third, then you, lo- <laughs> you learn to love your neighbor. Neighbor is a word that Jesus used so much, okay? Learning to love someone where you, you don't have any specific investment in them at all, okay? There's nothing tying you to that person. There's nothing really to be gained from that person. It's just a person, your neighbor. And it's a challenge to invest time and effort and love in people where there's nothing necessarily to be gained at first. There's no, con- there's no connections. And then once you've mastered that, there's the ultimate challenge of love, which few of us ever reach. Love for your enemy. Not just someone you don't have connection with. It's not just someone who's, who's not going to you know, benefit you okay, by being nice to them, by loving them, but now it's someone who's actually out to harm you. Can you love that person? You got it? Amen. These are the places that can become altars of worship. We can choose to make these things and these relationships just commonality, just uh, nothing special, or we can choose to approach every person as an opportunity to show God how much we love him, and in turn, we love others. I'm moving quick, guys. You guys ready for that? Hope you guys got your pens out, taking notes. All right, and of course, the third uh, everyday altar is our circumstances, meaning just the things that change every day, okay? Your finances, things at work, okay? Things you can't control, the ups and downs of life. We have the opportunity to worship Him in the highs of our lives, in the lows of our lives, and in the mundane of life, just the everyday, the normalcy. All right, that was week one, so if you missed it, there you go. Good? There you go, Latonya. You can take some notes, too. All right, so now we're on the week two, and I already lost my cap. Here's the first question to tackle today, okay? Here's what it is. 
Why do we worship? Have you ever thought about this? What kind of a weird thing is this where we have this innate desire to look at something and go, ah, good, ooh, bad, ooh, awesome, ooh. Mm. From childhood, we innately, the things that we see value in, we find ways to just to elevate, to, to prop them up, to, to worship them. You know, whether it's, uh, for me, who was it back I really liked Gumby a lot. Who liked Gumby when you guys were kids? It was Michael Jordan and Gumby. That's, I, I'm not sure if there's any correlation between the two, okay? But we find these things, and then we start to just elevate them in our minds, okay? In, our, in the way we talk about them, in, in the time we invest in it. We, we, we are creatures of worship. We just we can't help but find something and begin to elevate it. The moment you find anything that you like, what do you do? You begin to put more time into it. You begin to pursue it. And you begin to do something else. You begin to share it with others. You begin to talk about it. In high school, I loved paintball. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So anyone who knew me back then knew that about me, okay? I mean, basketball was great, but I loved paintball. And so I had magazines about it. I had shirts with stuff on it. I went to tournaments. I told everyone about it. If you were to sit down with anyone right now, within a minute, you can find out what matters to them, what they are worshiping. Family, money, fear. God, maybe. I doubt it. <laughs> right? Come on, let's be honest. Come on, let's be. Uh oh. I'm losing my mic today. Moving too fast. We just. There's something about worship that just comes naturally to us. And so to answer this question, why do we worship? The first reason is this. We worship because worship is our purpose. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard pastors and ministers you know, talk about how you know, man was created to worship God. And while that is a true statement, in my opinion, it has a little bit of a different angle than what most would approach it with. Let's go to uh, Colossians 1, verse 16. Colossians 1, verse 16. Understand the context of this, this verse here is that uh, he is speaking about the divinity of Jesus. He's talking about how important Jesus is. He's, he's, he's making point to expound, saying this is not just a man. Okay, this is a man who is who is God. And so in the context of this whole thing he's talking about, and he goes on for a while about it, he makes this statement. He says, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Stop for a second. Think about that. Understand that this statement by itself is loaded because it's saying that not only is, is he God, but this is the same God who was present in creation, okay, in the creating, the forming of all things. And uh, we don't have time to go in depth in this, but this is a very profound, very bold statement to say that not only is, is, is he the son of God, this is the same God who spoke creation into existence. And then he goes from that point and he says something very interesting. He says, and all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Th 
through him and for him. And this is the approach to worship that I want you to get. It's not just that you were created to sit in heaven with a harp and to stare at some great light and say, whoa, yeah, cool for eternity. Come on, be honest. When you think about heaven, what do you think about? When you think about worship, what do you think about? Songs, you know, words, you know, describing, oh, his majesty, and he's awesome, and he's right. I don't know any other spiritual words to say, right? I mean, come on, be honest. I mean, like, when you think about worship, what do you think about, right? It's pigeonholed in this way. And again, it's because we don't understand worship. We were created to worship because the heart of worship is very simple. The heart of worship is relationship and devotion. If we were created for worship, then why in the Garden of Eden were we not created? Why do we not see the scene of man just constantly going, oh, God is so great. He's so, his, his glory, you know, lasts forever. How come we don't see this same picture in the garden that we also see with the angels in heaven? Why is there a difference between the relationship between God and man and God and the other created creatures? It's because the form of worship that God is after comes directly from relationship. There is a response of saying, man, he's, he's great, he's amazing, but this response is much more natural and organic than you would ever imagine. How do I simplify this? When you first found your spouse, you didn't spend your entire day in your head going, oh, she's so great, She's so amazing. I mean, think, I mean, sure, for a week maybe until you find out what they're really like, okay? But what happens is, you know, the way that you really begin to express the value of someone comes out in every other way. It's not just a mental thing. It's not just saying words. It's not just singing songs to your loved one. It comes out in every expression of how you interact with that person. And so in essence, the worship that God created us for is relationship. The ultimate, the highest form of, of worship for any creature is the ability to interact with the Creator. Think about that privilege that we have. And you have been specially built, custom designed to do this. We have senses, we have this, this brain, this ability to process, to internalize. We have the ability to take something in. Me and you could be in the exact same spot, taking in the same sunrise or the same song, the same taste of food, and we will both process it and respond and describe it and react to it differently. We each have a unique response, a unique form of worship made solely by our unique individual nature. Your worship is so viable to God because you are so unique. Has that settled into you yet? There's a verse we're about to jump to that I think you'll really kind of get it from this. Let's go, let's go to uh, Genesis 22. Genesis 22. I will not read the entire chapter, I promise. We'll be here all morning, okay? Uh, here's the context of this. So Abram has already become Abraham. Okay? He, he's already received the promise he, he has already become a, he's already been 
consecrated. He's been picked out, okay? From among all the people on the earth, he has already been made special, all right? He's, he's already received this promise that God's going to do these great things for him. He's going to make this great nation, you know, from Abraham, all these amazing things that God has promised Abraham. And so, and so in this, okay, he's got this promise that he's going to be the father of many nations, all that kind of stuff. And then in the midst of that, he and his wife, Sarah, have been unable to bear children. And there's been all sorts of sagas that come from this, all sorts of disobedience, and sin kind of came from this. You know, they're trying to make it happen on their own. But finally, by the promise of God, he has a son. He has Isaac. And so now that he has Isaac, in essence, his life is now fulfilled. Everything that he needs, his God has now provided everything that he needs. And so, so God speaks from heaven to Abraham, and he says, I want you to take your son to the top of that mountain, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. This never hit me the way that it does now until I had children. So here's Abraham, right? He, he has his servants. Because again, I understand that he's done this before. He's gone up to, to you know, offer sacrifices before. Isaac's watched him take animals up the mountain before. His servants know the routine. Okay, we've got the cart ready. We've got the donkey. We've got wood. Okay, so where's the animal you're taking? And so here's Isaac, and he goes, so what animal are we going to take up to the mountain? And he goes, his response is, God will provide. That's his response. And so he goes up the mountain. Ah, let's go here and see... Uh, Verse 5, he says, he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. And he goes on here, and he's having this conversation with his son, and basically now it's getting tense. Okay, the altar's been prepared, the wood's been laid, the fire's about to be lit. He's bound his son up, okay? His son is now tied up, and he has laid his son on the altar and he, he's about to, to sacrifice his son. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And so he goes on, he sees a ram in the thicket. You know, God provides an animal takes the animal, he sacrifices it. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Understand that this promise, he's already received this promise, okay? This, everything that God just said, oh, because you did that, I'm going to give you. He's already received that promise from God. Here's what I want you to see. The, the desire of God was never on the animal or the child who was going to be offered. It was never on the act of worship. The desire of God was always on the heart of the worshiper. Do you see that? Nodding is good. It's acceptable. Uh, saying yes is acceptable. Uh, we can do anything that you like to do. If you don't see it, we can read it all again. 
Even in the Old Covenant, even in the Old Testament, even in Genesis, before the law was ever created, this reality is very clear. He was never after Isaac. He he never wanted to harm the child, ever. He was always after the heart of his father. It was always a test. Do you love me for me? Do you love me for who you have found me to be in all of our interactions, relationship? Or do you love me because of what I can give you? And once he had that security in knowing he loves me from our relationship, now you can have everything that I'm going to give you. Do you see that? Thank you, Jenny. Sweet. Appreciate that. This same reality applies to you today. And as simple as that sounds, most of you come to church every single week, not because you want to, but because you're supposed to. It's an act of worship, right? It's what God wants me to do. It's not because it comes from a place where, oh, I just, I love God so much, I'm going to go to church and just, oh, just have time. Come on, be honest with me. On your best day, right? Yeah. On average, is that how you feel when you come to church? Remember, we have to be truthful here, okay? Worshiping spirit and truth. Anybody? We do it because we expect that's what he wants. We're supposed to go to church. That's the offering we're supposed to bring, right? I'm not telling you not to come to church, okay? We need you to come to church. I'm not saying that, all right? (laughs) It's the motive. It's the heart behind it. And again, because it doesn't matter what the act of worship is, it can be empty if it's not coming from a place of true desire and honesty with God. Understood? Understood. Good stuff, Devin. Man, poof. Hey, if I had to pat myself on the back, I'll do it. All right, here we go. So we've answered why we worship. Now the, the next question is, how do we worship? Okay, I mean, we all admitted last week, asked you guys a question. I said, you know, so is, is what we do on Sunday mornings where we gather together and we sing songs and we have music, is that what worship is. Is that really the heart of it? Is that all that worship is? And I think everyone here said no, okay? So if that's not all that worship is, then what is worship? Well, let's answer that. How do we worship? Here's the first one. We worship in ways that resonate. I know that sounds goofy. Stay with me, okay? This is where We bring what we have that comes naturally and is in good supply with the goal of getting his attention and connecting. Here, I'll explain it. In the Old Testament, they they had these things called offerings, okay? An offering typically was any kind of a a burnt uh, form of worship, meaning they'd bring grain, they'd bring wine. Wine, do you guys still offer wine to Jesus? Okay, come on, you guys. Do you still offer wine to Jesus? I love you, Lord. (laughs) Come on now. Okay. I'll see you guys at the bar tonight, right? Anyways. Kidding, kidding. I won't. Okay. (laughs) It was any kind of of a burnt offering that was not an animal, typically. Okay, so it was anything that wasn't being killed and being offered to God. It's an offering, okay? And the reason that this is different from a sacrifice, again, there's not something that's being killed, Also, it came from things that were available to them, meaning there was multiple forms of offerings that could be made. You could offer it with grain. You could use it with drink. You could use it with pigeons. I mean, you could do it with anything that was available to you. 
we, even now in our relationship with God, there's a form of worship that comes naturally to us. It's called offering, meaning it, it doesn't necessarily hurt. It's not something that we do for a special occasion. It's the way that we worship God most naturally. Does that make sense to you? Okay, some of you guys, on Sunday mornings when worship starts, I mean, you guys get into it. All right? I mean, if I let you have flags, you guys be running around the, I mean, cartwheels, flags, painting pictures, you know. And then we got other people. <laughs> now, is there anything wrong with that? Okay, the point is that there are, there is a, a form of worship that comes naturally and is in good supply to each of us. For some of you, going on a hike and taking in creation and just being in awe of it, okay, is, is a natural form of worship for you. For some of you, it's, it's service, you know, just doing things, okay? If the church needs the, you know, the lawn mode, you just want to get in there and serve God with some kind of effort. The point is this, offering is a form of worship that comes naturally and easy to us, and it's done without a specific need or purpose or occasion. It's the best way that we connect, and the reason I, I, I want to talk about this is we all need to find out what that form is for us. It might not be music for you. It might be going out fishing. It might be, you know, riding. I don't know if you have any riders. I have no clue. Okay, you get the point, right? Find out what it is because it's this form of worship that keeps us connected and fuels these next types of worship. Uh, a verse for that, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Uh, let me find that real quick. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? There's so much in that passage, I can't explain it all. Here's the important part. When they would offer a, an offering You'd put in the altar, it would burn, okay? Whether it was wine or grain or whatever, it would create a smell, a pleasing aroma. And the understanding was, was that God took pleasure in the sense, in the actual smell of this incense that was burning. It would, the goal was, simply put, to get his attention. Okay, it's almost like bacon cookies, right? The goal was to get the attention of God. What can I offer that will draw him here, okay? And what's funny about that is what draws him now is you. What's it say in that verse? It says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. Because remember, the only thing being burned, the only offering that's been given anymore, the only sacrifice, the only blood being shed forever now is Jesus. That is the continual offering that burns and pleases God. I, I, again, if you care about all the Old Testament pictures, there's your picture, okay? And so now everything in your life can become a pleasing aroma because everything you do in the freedom of Jesus and grace, living by the Spirit, it, which is freedom, is a sweet-smelling incense. It draws the attention of God. You want to draw the attention of God? Live in the grace that He gave you. Meaning it comes naturally. Man, there's something there, guys. If you want to dig there, I encourage you. There's some good stuff there. This is the worship that comes easy for us, okay? All right, here's a second form. We worship in ways that say thank you. 
The other form of, of offerings that were being given were thanksgiving offerings, okay? okay? Simply put, this is any form of worship that we do to thank God for something he's done for us, okay? So we had problems in our finances, okay? You know, we need a breakthrough. So we prayed for God to come through for us. He came through for us, so we respond in thanksgiving, okay? It's, again, any time that we worship to respond to a way that God has shown up in our lives in any way, shape, or form. And again, uh, a verse for that, if you want one, Colossians 3, verses 15 through 17. I'm not going to go there, but if you want that for your notes, go ahead. Here's the next one I really want to focus on right now. The third form, the third way that we worship God in ways that hurt. Did you get that? We worship God in ways that hurt. This is called sacrifice, okay? This is where the form or situation of our worship, the form meaning how we do it, or the situation meaning what's going on around us when we do it, is awkward, difficult, painful, or uncomfortable. All right, we just talked about Sunday mornings, okay, (laughs) when the worship's going. For some of you, if that is your offering, it's natural, it comes easy to you. Oh, I just love to get into worship and feel the music. Oh. Then some of you go, there are days, there are times, there are moments where there are places, there are altars that we need to build and places we don't want them to. There are times where we need to worship in ways that we don't want to. Meaning, sacrificial worship is so special because it's done in a way that doesn't feel good. It takes an extra effort to offer this form of worship. And so it's any form of worship that takes place in a way that is uncomfortable. If it's sacrificial, you wouldn't choose to do it on your own. Does that make sense? Now, when you go back to the Old Testament, uh, the Old Covenant, sacrifices were different than offerings in one way. Sacrifices always included death meaning something had to die to bring a sacrifice. That's what makes it different than an offering, okay? A sacrifice can be an offering, but an offering can't be a sacrifice. Make sense? Got it. So, in the Old Covenant, if it was a pigeon, if it was a goat, if it was a lamb, if it was an oxen, something had to, blood had to be shed. Life had to be drained from something to bring a sacrifice. Obviously, I haven't seen you guys bringing in any goats lately, okay? That'd be nice to try to see you fit that in the joy box. Don't know how that would work. Come on. <laughs> but what stays the same, even in our new covenant relationship with God, is every time that there's a sacrifice, death still has to take place. Here's what it is. New Testament sacrifice is death to self. Any form of worship we do where a part of us has to die, specifically our own will. Anytime you choose to worship God in a way that you don't want to worship, that is a sacrifice. And often, sacrifice is set up by the Lord. Meaning, when we bring offering, when we do thanksgiving, these are things that we typically choose. I'm going to make an altar here. This is a good way to do it. When it's sacrifice, God says, take your child and go up to the mountain. Now again, don't take your children. We are not saying that, okay? Take that thing that means the most to you, and he typically says, this is the idol. This is the thing that you are worshiping over me. 
Typically, sacrifice has to do with a part of our lives that we are worshiping over God. And it has to be laid aside. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Amen. All right. Well, I hope that you're beginning to get a fuller sense of what worship is. And, and again, we will take worship and unpack it for who knows how long it's going to go. We will continue to expound it and look at every angle and dimension and approach so that we understand it. But simply put, worship is our direct relationship with God. It's how we respond and interact and why we do it. Okay? We worship God as we choose to encounter Him and we choose to respond to Him. Okay? And one of the biggest challenges of worship is just approaching Him. That whole understanding of doing by grace is crucial because so many of us just feel like we're not even worthy to approach Him. And that is the biggest thing that we want to avoid. Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to close this up. Everyone's like, really? Oh my goodness. You guys can get a good seat at the restaurant? Man, can you imagine? Before we move on, you know, uh, as we pray and we open up the altar, we're going to have the prayer team up here. And every Sunday, it's crucial that you all understand if there's anyone in here who just wants to get right with the Lord. If you, in any way, if you haven't started a relationship with Him, if you've always been distant and you've never felt like He wants you to come near, you, you've never wanted to come near, you never felt worthy, we need to fix that today. The reason that Jesus is the only sacrifice that will ever be made in, in blood anymore is because He wanted to forever remove any obstacle between us and Him. And if you need someone to talk to, need prayer, we're going to be here for that. But here's something I want us to do together as a church. We're just going to... If all of this starts on the inside, then we've got to start by allowing Him inside. So we're just going to pray together. Let's go ahead and close our eyes.